Facts of Faith with Nael Pondwana, 7 to 8 p.m. Good evening, welcome. You're listening to Facts of Faith with me, Nayel Upondwana, here on SFM, leading the conversation. It's four, four minutes after seven, we're together until eight. Today, we're continuing from where we left off, talking about women's rights and having different guests for today to give us the very same conversation. Remember, it is, well, the final Sunday of Women's Month. So I see absolutely nothing wrong with us dealing with this matter as exhaustive as we can. By that we mean we try and find as many, as many perspectives to settle this as best as we can, at least for now. And so we're asking the question tonight, what does scripture say about the rights of women? What does scripture say about the rights of women? We'll be talking to the Muslim community, Rastafari community, and the Hindu community represented tonight. That, however, does not mean we're only going to be speaking to them. We'll be speaking to them as represented in our panel tonight, but would like to hear your take on the matter. Last week, it was somewhat uncomfortable, but that's what the nature of the program is, right? to talk about these things that make us uncomfortable, to amass a measure of understanding so that at some point we can have confidence in taking decisions about them. Our question for tonight again, what does scripture say about the rights of women? I'm Naya Lupondwana. This is Facts of Faith. Let's begin. Naya Lupondwana on SAFM. Here we go. Let me introduce you to our guests in no particular order. And as soon as they join us, you will hear them. We'll be having Dr. Tud Jargi. He's no stranger to the program. He is actually quite a regular on the program, founder of The Open Mosque. He'll be joining us in a short while. And also Empress Black Mary Menin, a Rastafari woman, a Rasta woman, who will be speaking on the premise or the promise key. Hmm, the promise key. Rastafari religious book. That's what they call it. Well, we'll also be joined by Arti Shanand. Arti Shanand is a Vedic priest speaking on the Vedas, giving us the perspective from the Hindu community. These will be our guests, but most importantly, they are here so that they can open the path and perhaps plow and irrigate your mind so that you too can have your own ideas come up. So please, if you'd like to do that, please feel free to do that. Call us on 0891-104-207, 0891-104-207, or you could send a text message to our SMS line 40938, 40938. And those of you who are on social media, you can find us on WhatsApp, on Facebook, on Twitter, all three are available to you. Both Facebook and Twitter were available there at SFM, SFM, at SFM Radio. And the hashtag for Twitter is SFM Facts of Faith. If you are on uh, t- WhatsApp, near the Twitter, on WhatsApp, the number is 0614 All right, let's see if we can have some of our guests. Dr. Hargi, you there. Can you hear me? Yes, good evening. Hello. Good evening to you, Dr. Hargi, and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Dr. Hargi, as I said, is the founder of The Open Mosque, and he is a regular on the program, giving us some hardcore and robust insights, which, well, we have to go back and tease out for ourselves. Thank you very much, Dr. Hargi, for agreeing to talk to us once again. Also, do we have Arti Shanand? Arti Shanand? Arti, can you hear me? Yes, I 
can. Good evening. Good evening to you. Thank you very much, madam. She's a Vedic priest speaking on the Vedas. She's speaking to us on the, from the perspective of the Hindu community. And she'll be giving us some insights as well. It's always encouraging to have women willing to take the challenge to come and participate in robust debate. Thank you very much, madam. We really appreciate your kindness. We'll be joined in a short while by Empress Black Mary Menon who is a Rasta woman who will be joining us in a short while. When she does join us, I'll introduce you to her. Let's just begin with the guests that we have and let's give the honor to um, uh, Artishinanda, the priest that has joined us. Um, and we, again, I must say, we are really grateful to have women agreeing to participate. Uh, so do tell us, madam, uh, when, when we're talking about women's rights, uh, are they represented in any form, shape or type in your Vedas? Yes, they do. Uh, in fact, the Vedas um, do not advocate gender bias of any sort. In relation to women, the total approach in the Vedas is towards gender equality, gender justice, honor and dignity with the rights of self-determination. And, and we have in each of our Vedas rights that are given to women. In fact, the first right that a woman has is a right to education. And this she starts off from a little girl, and it's called the Brahmacharya stage of one's life. In the Vedas, we have four stages in life. The first is the Brahmacharya stage, uh, wherein uh, the, the little girl or boy uh, gets an education, they practice self-discipline, they practice celibacy, and um, and then they get ready for the next stage of life. Forgive which me, is for, for, forgive me, ma'am. Um, uh, please um, help us before you continue. Just point us which of the many Vedas are you referring to? Which one would we want to read so that we can be able to read what you're talking about? Uh, the Atharva Veda. The, the, read that. Say the, that again. The one I'm talking about at the moment is the Atharva Veda. Atharva. Okay. All right. Can you point us perhaps to a particular page or a section that would help us also? Yes. Uh, it's uh, Book 11, Chapter 5 and Verse 18. Kindly read of it for the us. Of Veda. Okay. All right. And here in the, the, the rights that's given to women here uh, tells her that she, as a young lady has a right to choose her life partner, right? And only, only by brahmacharya does the virgin maiden find a youth as husband. That's what the verse says, right? This sutta or this book covers the basic discipline of the first phase of life, which is the brahmacharya. This is the period of preparation for life with dedication to Brahma, comprehensive knowledge of nature, human society, and divinity, an austere, not indulgent discipline in living for the development of body, mind, and spirit. It is relevant to both boys and girls. So okay. that's the first right that a woman is entitled to according to the Vedas. Yeah. Okay. Perhaps, ma'am, you could enlighten me on this part. When you're quoting the Atharva Veda, you are referring to a Veda that is not necessarily about women, but simply mentions the various stages of development of both boys yes, and that, girls. Yes, the reason I mentioned that is because this, that is the way it starts off. The fact that she's entitled to an education, that is the first right. Uh, and why I'm emphasizing on that is because, contrary to belief, uh, I've read in many books that women uh, in India or Indian women were not uh, were not accorded the right to an education. So I just want to emphasize on that that they were uh, given the right to be educated. I, I, that I, was the first right. Yeah. I understand, ma'am. Would it not be perhaps correct to say children? in spite of or regardless of gender or inclusive of all genders were encouraged to acquire knowledge, not necessarily education, but knowledge because at the time of the writing of this particular Veda, education was not formalized. It was knowledge passed on, isn't it, ma'am? 
Absolutely correct. It was knowledge. That's right. Yeah. So when you're, you're absolutely right. Yes. So when you're referring to this particular Veda, you're referring to a Veda that is talking about naturally the way you are supposed to be rearing children, and the fact that children fall in the various genders should not mean that this is a woman's right. Would it mean that, ma'am? Yeah, no, it is a woman's right because only when she goes through this phase in her life is she entitled to, to that right, Yeah, the right to choose her life partner. That's what I was coming to next. Okay, all right. Uh, all right. You know, that after she's finished her education and her her life of, of discipline and, and, and celibacy, she is now ready to enter the next stage of her life, which is the life of a householder, or as we term it, Grihastha Ashram. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Do you, do you have a second one perhaps that could, could, could take us through? Yes. Um, second one is, I just want to say that the reason that the, the, the girl is given this right to choose a husband is because she is, she wants to know that her life partner is going to be good for her, right? And um, she has, she will then dedicate her life and she will dedicate herself to her husband and thereby bringing harmony into their married life. That's the, that's what I just wanted to, to uh, tell you about. But the second one is, in terms of the Vedas, marriage is neither a compromise nor a contract undertaken for physical pleasures or material comforts, but a sacrament for fulfilling the life goals on the basis of perfect companionship and mutual understanding. All right? And the Rig Veda now further glorifies the role of the woman in the family by declaring a right that it is a wife who symbolizes the real spirit of the home. And the Rig Veda I'm talking about is Book 3, Chapter 53 and verse 4. Okay. All right. All right. Um, we'll engage with what the priestess say right now. I'm hoping you're listening to her very carefully, especially the Veda she chose to use for tonight's conversation. Very interesting. Just for verification, I was told that this Veda has, has been known to be referred to as a Veda of magical formulas. Is that correct, ma'am? Sorry, a Veda of? Is it correct to, to say that at some point, it was referred to as a Veda of magical formulas, the one you have chosen to use for tonight's conversation. Yes, that's right. Is is it, are you are you confirming that it was called that, or are you confirming that it is a Veda of magical formulas? I'm confirming that. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's 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 move on. Let's let's bring in uh, Dr. Hargi. Dr. Hargi, we're we're interested from the perspective of Islam, and um, we have had some uh, contributions to this effect. And perhaps I'm going to be pressing you for more specific and direct uh, texts that would give rise to your reply. Uh, do you believe that the Quran recognizes the rights of women? Absolutely. However, we have a paradox. The Quran itself is uh, uh, very protective and, uh, and, and promoting of women's rights. In the Islamic society, or rather Muslim society, the misogynistic priests, the chauvinistic uh, elders, these are the ones that are sexist and discriminatory towards women. So this is the paradox. Whilst the text is, you know, for equality and for justice and for reciprocity in terms of relations between men and women. A society led by uh, patriarchal uh, priests and misogynistic mullahs uh, sing from a different hymn sheet. Now, the most, there are several verses actually that uh, uh, indicate the Quran's uh, insistence on gender equity. For example, there's a beautiful verse in chapter 9, verse 71 where it says that men and women are mutually supportive, friends, and protective of one another, implying a reciprocity in inequality. Then we have a beautiful verse from chapter 2, verse 187. The Quran says, women are a garment to you, as you are a garment to them. What does that imply? Reciprocity, complementarity, equality, and parity. So throughout the Quran we have this. 
Furthermore, for example, in chapter 30, verse 21, the Quran says, uh, men and women be brought together because God has placed love and tenderness in their hearts so they can find peace and contentment with, with each other. Now, you don't find peace and contentment with someone that treats you like a doormat. No, you only find peace and contentment with someone that respects you and treats you with equality. So the whole thrust of the Quran is towards gender parity and equality, and some verses are deliberately misconstrued, like the famous one you're very uh, much aware of, Naya. The one about four, chapter 4, verse 34, where it yes. says, yes, men have the, are, are the bosses, are the uh, managers of women, and they have the right to beat women. Now, that verse has been so misinterpreted by sexist clergy that it has no relevance to the original meaning. That verse talks about men in a patriarchal society have a duty to support women. Because all money and power comes from men in that patriarchal society. And this idea of a man having the right to hit a woman, that's clearly not what the Quran is saying. The word uh, there is idrabahunna coming from the uh, Arabic word daraba. And daraba can mean to strike, but it has multiple meanings, sometimes over in excess of 24 meanings. And the best meaning in this case is that when there's marital strife, for example, I don't know if you're married, but if you're married, then, the first, uh, and there's a problem, then the Quran advises first talk to your partner. If that doesn't work, then separate from the marital bed. And if that doesn't work, have a temporary separation. That's the three stages. Now, the temporary separation is not uh, about beating her into submission. It's by giving her the space and the time and the uh, an opportunity to reflect, both parties to reflect. But that verse is, is it's been used by sexist clergy throughout the ages, and especially in modern times, to impose uh, male uh, supremacy on women. And this is not the Quran's uh, view. For example, in Quran chapter 4, verse 124 says that both men and women, both of them, are the, uh, the, when they do good and, 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 and uh, live moral life, are entitled to heavenly bliss and celestial redemption. And elsewhere in chapter 33, verse 35... Just hold the the thought. I need to take a break and come back. I'll give you the opportunity to continue your thought. Just stand by. Hashtag SAFM Facts of Faith So we continue with Dr. Hargi was making your your point. Do pardon me, Dr. Hargi, continue. Yeah, so I mean, the the majority, the vast majority of the verses in the Quran is talking about women's rights, uh, respecting of women, and and giving them every opportunity in life. It is the sexist clergy, the patriarchal priesthood, that subjugates them. Unfortunately, the the Muslim community follows Goebbels, Hitler's propaganda minister's uh, big uh, uh, aphorism. He said, Goebbels, the bigger the lie, the more you repeat it, the more they believe it. So when this clergy comes along and says women don't have full rights, that they're under the, uh, the, the, the protection of men and they can't make independent decisions, and they repeat it long enough, it's a lie, by the way, but they repeat it long enough and hard enough, then clearly both the men and the women believe it. But this is not the Quran's message. The Quran's message is about parity, complementarity. You know, you scratch my back, I scratch your back, in, 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 in layman's terms. The idea about being mutually beneficial to one another, that's what the Quran's uh, uh, thrust is about. And we as Muslims, sadly, we fail to uh, live up to this wonderful uh, inspirational message of the Quran that came down 1,400 years ago, talking about parity, equality, and uh, uh, mutual respect. That is a way forward for gender relations. And the Quran gives us that format, that template, but sadly, like I've said again and again, it is the clergy that deliberately misinterprets and quote the text out of context. The text is there, but there is a context to the text. And we as Muslims, especially in South Africa and elsewhere, we should wake up, smell the coffee, and realize that we shouldn't blindly follow the clergy because the clergy, let me put blunt in South Africa, the the Muslim clergy is is the following. In the line of the blind, the one-eyed is king. Because when they have one eye and the rest of us have no eyes, they can uh, sell us anything. 
snake oil included. And so we, we the masses, we believe what they say. But they come from a patriarchal mindset. They come from a chauvinistic uh, environment, and they're certainly not talking to modern Muslim women and men of the 21st century. All right. Um, I want to open the lines for both of you before we continue our conversation. 0891 Perhaps we need to dig a little deeper as far as what we mean. South Africa has, like many other democracies, most importantly, South Africa in Africa, is one of the leading democracies that have turned things uh, inside out, if I can put it like that, upside down, or the other way around, where the majority of the people that are now being focused on in terms of rights and uh, opportunities are women. And this is something that has been legislated to focus on the previously disadvantaged members of our community. This was because these people, these groupings, black people, young people, women, were disadvantaged at some point. Now, our gender equality would imply that perhaps we have to prefer women over men prefer youngsters over the uh, seniors, uh, to prefer black people over white people. Would your religious documents support this idea of, well, elevating the previously disadvantaged woman in the context of our conversation to the status of this parity? Right now, you're speaking so well about parity, complementarity, and all of those beautiful things, but are you prepared as the Muslim community to elevate the status of a woman to that of a man to the extent that... No, the ultimate uh, 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 objective, Naya, is not to favor one to the other. The ultimate objective should absolutely be parity. Yes. You know, and uh, yes... It's the road to parity that I'm trying to establish, Dr. But we can't help the disadvantage at the expense of someone who is qualified. For example, what's the point of elevating a woman into a position or parachuting a black person into a position and he or she are totally incompetent and unqualified? What's the point of that? No, no, I'm we not talking need, about the people you know, who want to... We need to have progress and justice in our country, and that will mean that we get the best woman who's qualified and the best man, white or black, that's qualified to do the job. We shouldn't have a, a reverse a discrimination, and we shouldn't have positive discrimination either. That, that, that may be a, 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 a means to an end, but that is not the ultimate objective. The ultimate objective is to give both parties, black or white, male or female, or whatever, homosexual, heterosexual, give them equality and parity and complementarity. That's the goal. That's the objective. No, no, no. I'm not suggesting that there should be one preferred above the other in perpetual. I'm simply suggesting that in order to achieve this parity and this alleged complementarity, there are these... It's not alleged, by the way, but carry on. I'm suggesting that it is alleged uh, <laughs> there, Dr. Hargi, because as things stand right now, we do not have that in practice. I'll give you an example. Right now in the Muslim faith, we cannot have polyandry. There is no way that a woman can be as pluralistic in matrimony as men. That's a matter that is documented and proscribed. And, and that is something we as the Muslim society should discuss, you know, and, uh, and, 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 and nothing should be taboo. I don't believe anything should be taboo. That doesn't mean that you must agree to it necessarily, but we should have open, rigorous, honest debate, frank discussions about all of these sacred cows, uh, taboo subjects, whatever. And that is the way the community progresses and become more tolerant and become more under, uh, knowledgeable and comprehensible to, uh, to themselves and to others. And There's no other way to, except to discuss these things openly and candidly. I totally agree with you. So you have not had that conversation. So until you have the conversation, that is why I'm saying it is alleged. If we're yeah, the open laws already have had this conversation about polyandry. <laughs> yeah. we, are, we, we don't shirk from these issues. Yeah. Okay? And yes, uh, the, the, the workshop we had about two or three years ago, they were the, 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 the majority of opinion, sadly, in my opinion, was that no, it shouldn't be allowed. But they couldn't actually, uh, 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 you know, uh, 
defy the convention and the, the popular tradition because it's so deep-seated and deep-rooted that it's going to take maybe a generation or two to eliminate it from our mindset. But in the meantime, polygamy uh, then, which is the, 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 the alternative now. Okay, we talk about women. Yes. Women having multiple partners. Yes. So with the same conference, the same workshop, came out emphatically and said there should be no polygamy in Islam at all because if you look at the verse, chapter 4, verse 3, that says you can marry widows, widows with orphan children up to the number of four provided you treat them equally. And in the same chapter, chapter 4, verse 129 says that no one can treat uh, multiple wives equally, so it's best to marry just one. So that again, the thrust of the Quran is that you marry one, monogamy, Got not it. polygamy. Got so it. The Quran is against polygamy and, uh, and uh, polyandry is something else which we, we really and honestly need to discuss. The main thing is to realize that, you know, this idea that men, Muslim men, especially in South Africa, and many of them don't want to marry, by the way, you should probably know this, they don't want to marry at home affairs. Because if they marry at home affairs, they can't have number one, wife number two and three and four. Okay, and so that is a problem. They deliberately refuse to have a state of recognized marriage because they want to have the option of a younger model down the road. And this is not Islamic <laughs> because it degrades the woman, it makes her inferior, and creates all kinds of problems in the long term, both for the female and for the male. And the men think that they are cocks of the walk and they can have as many hens as they like, and the poor woman <laughs> lives in, in total petrification that what's going to happen when, when my husband comes home with wife number two or number three. All right. And this is not complementarity, this is not equality, and this is not parity. We Absolutely. should go to what the Quran is saying. Now, the, the reason why the Quran actually introduced polygamy for a limited time is because in the battle when most men were killed, what would happen to the women and the dependent children? There was no government grants, no SASA, no uh, social security. So who's going to feed them? Who's going to clothe them? Who's going to shelter them? So that was the only reason why a Muslim man was permitted to marry widowed women with children, not young virgin things so they would have a newer model. That's not what Islam says. That is not what the Quran says. But that is what the mullahs are saying. Yeah. That is what the patriarchal priests are preaching. All right. That's Dr. Tard Jargi, founder of the Open Mosque. Let's bring in the, the Vedic priest again. Madam, I've been listening to you um, uh, chiming in there. I, I was curious to understand if perhaps I misunderstood. You suggested that uh, one of the primary responsibilities of a woman is to be good to her husband. I'm putting it mildly. Did I understand you well, ma'am? Sorry, are you talking to me, Naya? Yes, ma'am. I'm speaking with you. All right. Okay, what I, what I was saying is that if she chooses her own partner, which she has a right to do, then she will be more dedicated to that marriage and to her husband, and thereby bringing peace and harmony into their home. Right? Yeah. And at the same time, she is said to be the real spirit of the home. This is said in the Rig Ved, books 3, chapter 53 and verse 4, where it says that she is the spirit of the home. And having said that, if she has a problem or if she's deserted by her husband, the Atarva Ved, uh, book 10, chapter 1, verse 3, gives her the right to go back to his father's or brother's home to live in. That's if she's having a problem or if he's deserted her because she has won that right as being the spirit of the home and the, 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 the woman who makes the home, she has a right to go back to his father or his brother's home to live in. Yeah. Also, uh, I, I was just listening to Dr. Haji just now. Uh, women and widows especially have a right to remarry according to the Atarva Ved, book 9, chapter 5, verse 27. Right? Where it gives them the absolute right to remarry. So, as uh, the way I, I interpret that, and, and, and the Vedas have been interpreted in many ways, it's if the, if the woman is widowed and she's alone with her children, and if somebody comes into her life and offers her a safe haven and a home and love, she has every right to take that. 
So nobody should look down upon widows who remarry. I, I, and I, I am saying this with conviction because um, according to our very olden times, women, widows especially, weren't allowed to remarry. Widows weren't allowed to come out into public and to adorn themselves as such and to enjoy the pleasures of life. But the Vedas have given them that right, that they can come out, they can accept a second husband, and they can make a home for themselves. Y- yeah, right? I- I and understand. then the, the Vedas go on to say in the Rig Veda, Book 2, Chapter 17, Verse 7, it goes on to say that a woman remaining a spinster for life is entitled to share her father's property. So she has a right to property as well. And if the father doesn't have a son, she is also entitled to that property. And if he if he doesn't have if she doesn't have a brother, her sons are entitled to her father's property as well, right? And then the Vedas go on to say in the Rig Ved, uh, book ten, chapter eighteen, verse seven, it goes on to say in the performance of yajnas, yajnas are noble deeds as well as a physical ritual havan or agnihotra that is performed in Hinduism. Women have a right to lead. So the, the Vedas give them that right as well. And the Atharva Ved reiterates that in Book 12, Chapter 2, Verse 31. The Rig Ved also goes on to give fearless, undaunted women the right to be in the forefront and to be leaders. At many places in the Vedas, the word Purandi has been used for a woman giving her the right to play a major role in the management of civic amenities and defense for towns and cities. So, Naya, the, the Vedas give women all the rights that they need to live a successful and a fulfilling life. Okay. What I was hoping that you perhaps uh, get to, ma'am, is the possibility of a woman leading the home, being the leader of the home as opposed yes. to a man. Is that per- mm-hmm. per- permitted or granted in any of the Vedas? Yes, it is. Would yes, you like to is. share with us? Yeah. Share with us although, those texts Although well. we, we, we stress that in the Vedas, uh, we do stress that in a marriage, the husband and the wife both have equal rights. We, we do stress that. But in, in the situation where the husband is probably not at home. He's gone out. Uh, no, ma'am. When he's there, because men are not only leaders of the home when the woman is out. Does any of the, the Vedas give the right for a woman to lead a man? To lead in a so, home in the presence of the man. And men follow the woman. No, no, I, I haven't come across that in the Vedas. No. Is, is is it is it possible that in the uh, Hindu community there would be the head being a woman? Yes, it is possible. All right. Would you like to share with us those instances, perhaps? Well. Um, I would say it's possible because uh, although although I know we, we live in a patriarchal society and uh, lots of people like to believe that women don't have a right to lead in the home, there are instances, uh, let me take my own home for that matter, when I was no, growing ma'am, up. No ma'am, forgive me for interjecting, what I'm trying to establish is, is, is the trend you have so beautifully uh, demonstrated, share with us the texts that would support that? Oh, no, no. I don't have. There is no text that would support that. No. And, and, and that is why I'm, I'm trying to get to those points, ma'am, that while we have liberties, all communities the world over can cite certain parts of their communities that intimate a measure of liberty that could be interpreted to be women's rights. But as things stand, 
we have a community the world over that seems to be generally patriarchal. And when we speak of women's rights, we speak of peripheral rights. They're not yes. in the mainstream and they're not as uh, equal as we would like them to be in the true sense of gender equality. And while I agree with you and many other communities, by the way, that mm-hmm. there are some liberties offered to women, those liberties are a far cry are a far cry to what we're calling men's liberties, which would then mean actual gender parity. Yes. I, I, I do agree with you on that one. You know, I have a verse here in front of me. I just want you to listen to it. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, support anything that you're saying at the moment. But it says here in the Rig Veds where the woman in the family herself declares I possess intellect, whereby I have a high position in the family. I am simple, but always forthright in speech. I always talk truthfully and directly. I am capable of overcoming all difficulties and solving all problems. My husband is favorably inclined towards me and abides by all righteous rights and duties. My sons are destroyers of enemies and removers of obstacles. My daughter is attractive and illustrious. I achieve success in whatever I undertake. Finally, I enjoy utmost respect and dignity in my family. And, you know, when I read that verse, it doesn't say that she has the right to leave. Right? But she is given that dignity and that respect. And she is expected to lead her family. Yeah. That, that, that's why we've invited you tonight, so that we can find out if your texts do agree with your aspirations. And as noble as they may be, the texts still do not rise to the level of the various aspirations as you espouse them. I want to open the lines again and then I want to take some voice notes and read some tweets for Facebook posts and uh, WhatsApp posts as well on 0891104207 for those who'd like to put a call through to the studio 0891104207 and those of you who prefer to send a WhatsApp text you can send them to 0614104107 0614104107 shall we go to the tweets first Joey Khatliso uh, Solo at Solo Khatliso writes First Timothy two twelve. Do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. This is very clear. This is what Khatliso Solo writes, and he's quoting a book from the Christian Bible. Okay, uh, thank you very much, Khatliso. Um, it would have been nice for you to call in, for you to engage on this text, because many of your Christian contemporaries have a right, slightly different interpretation that is absolutely not as very clear as you put it. But thank you very much for sending the tweet, nonetheless, Khatliso. Uh, Jack Pagati writes, No scripture I'm aware of that speaks for sympathy for a passion against women's rights. The question can be narrowed to a family set up and if a husband and wife find happiness in coexisting with a common interpretation of the verses, then that should cover the rights of a woman. Not quite sure what you mean by that, Jack. I don't know what you mean by that. There are many women who agree with the verses that are clearly subjugating the women as it were. All right. Um, shall we go to the uh, WhatsApp voice notes? Oh, good evening again. Naya, it's Ayanda. I think as I'm listening to one of your guests, the, the, the gentleman, I think we are faced with a problem. If you read in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, the events that took place there in the Garden of Eden, we understand it, it, it is written that the snake approached the woman. So where was the man at, at that point in time when the snake was approaching the woman and they had that conversation? Where was Adam? Because the snake went to Eve. Now, the, 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 the anger and the heart done by, uh, 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 in men by the snake, the women are suffering for that. The woman didn't tempt herself or put doubt in herself something or someone 
approached the woman and the woman went to the man. The woman uh, 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 was obedient to his submission because his submission, I take it that they were born or they were created with it. She submitted and went to Adam and said, Adam, Adam, I've eaten already. So if man has to disrespect, they have to disrespect that, 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 that put doubt in the woman, that, that, that tempted the woman, that, that, that is where maybe the, 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 uh, uh, the challenge is. Maybe they cannot reach to that one, that, the one that uh, tempted the woman. Yeah, it all started. Now we are going back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis. Francis speak from East London. Francis speak from East London. Women have the rights to do uh, in the church and uh, in the government. In the church, women must teach young women to love their husbands so that the family may grow healthy, spiritually. But the problem the government did was to give more rights to the youth that have now dragged the concept of Christianity away from the children, from the youth. Because of this, it has created in the behavior that till today, youth don't have interest anymore in religious. Okay. Um, sir, I, I do understand your passion about the family and how children are in a state of disarray, but that is slightly not what we're talking about tonight. As for the first voice call, voice note, referring to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. I want to read it to you so that you understand what she's talking about. Verse 6, and I'm asking you, her name is Ayanda, right? Um, yeah. Ayanda, please read for yourself Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. The woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. <laughs> so it's not like Adam was absent. According to your text, your own Bible there, uh, Ayanda, she was with him and he was with her. According to verse three, chapter verse six, chapter three. Uh, let's go to some of those for Facebook posts. Let's go to some Facebook posts. Those of you who sent out your Facebook posts to um, Facebook. Mandlingo Sildamini writes: The Bible never mentioned anything about women's rights. It just urges men to love their women, and by loving your wife, you'll definitely know what is good for her. Thank you very much, Mandlingo Sildamini. Appreciate your text. Ooh, okay, and then Swissus of Messi Maxwell writes In Islam, we believe that paradise is under your mother's foot, which clearly indicates how important are women, but they, they, but then they cannot be compared to men in a 50 50 situation because even God sent only male prophets, which shows that only men can go the whole world and ensure that people know about his oneness. Women have rights in Islam, but men are superior than women. We'll have Dr. Hargi respond to that. Is that true, Dr. Hargi? Azania Sol Solo writes, First Timothy 2.12 can never be second-guessed. It is very clear. Patriarchy. Bible was written by men, not the Creator. Azania Sol Solo, thank you very much. All right, shall we go to the WhatsApp uh, texts? Those of you who have sent texts on WhatsApp, one text says, Hi, Naya. I'm totally in agreement with Dr. Hargi. From the immemorial, patriarchal society has used their power in any way to subjugate and undermine women, ellipses. It is not good who is unfair to women, but as Dr. Hargi illustrates, it is these misogynistic weak men and so-called ignorant clergy who misinform the gullible. I am happy to add, however, there are a great many Muslim clergy and Muslim men who are beacons of 
women's rights. My family and circle of friends are such people. So there is indeed hope. Good show. Nasima Muhammad in Durban. Thank you very much, Nasima Muhammad. Appreciate your call. Dr. Hargi, that's one cap of the feather for you. Greeting panel. Women are oppressed even by not being recognized by Nika. A woman who is not recognized by Nika, is it not subjected to calling that woman a concubine for lack of recognition in Islamic marriage to much bureaucratic um, supposing that Clarissa is meaning uh, bureaucracy. Well, Dr. Hargi, that question is directed at you as well. Another WhatsApp text re- re- reads, If Jesus is God, I see inequality right there. Because why would God prefer being male, not female, since Jesus was male? I'm of a view that God is gender neutral. Gender is for his creations or creatures. Beg your pardon. Thank you very much. The president didn't tell us what his or her name is. All right, I'm going to take a break and come back. When we come back, we'll have our guests respond to this and then give us their parting shots. You're listening to Facts of Faith. Stay on top of all meaningful, top-trending stories right here on SAFM. Leading the conversation. You're listening to the final eight minutes of the program we're in conversation with our guests and most importantly yourselves as listening to this conversation i really appreciated your contributions very very insightfully please write the entire text in english because i am not permitted to write is in so can't read that for the purposes of our conversation i'm hoping you understand please we all right, Dr. Hargi, you're going to come second. I want to give uh, the priestess to give us the opportunity to respond. Go ahead, ma'am. Um, you've been listening to the comments. Uh, your your response first. I've been listening, yes, to the comments. Uh, all I want to say is that in every union uh, between man and a woman, whether it's marriage or whether they're living together, there has to be an element of love trust and respect. And as long as there is an element of love, trust and respect, I don't see how women can be subjected to any form of violence or whether it's mental, physical or emotional. And uh, they should treat each other as they would like to be treated themselves. That's my last word on this. Well, before you give us your last word, ma'am, I was hoping to engage just a little bit, so don't go away. I want to give yes. Dr. Dr. Hargan an opportunity to respond to all these questions that were directed to him, Dr. Okay. Hargan. Mm-hmm. Dr. Hargan. Yeah, just uh, let me to which ones you want me to answer. Uh, for example, okay, uh, let's go back to one. All right. Uh, one person says, uh, this is Olisa. Olisa writes, greetings panel. Women are oppressed even by not being recognized by Nika. A woman or women who is not recognized by Nika, is it not subjected to calling that woman a concubine for lack of recognition in Islamic marriage to much but, uh, bureaucracy? Uh, you're not supposed to have the Nika only. You're supposed to have the Nika in combination with the home affairs marriage. This idea of just marrying uh, uh, traditionally through the, with the imam or the sheikh at the local mosque, that leads to uh, uh, inequality and abuse of, of women. So we in, in the Muslim society must insist that, yes, the nikah, the religious marriage should be done, but it must be done in conjunction, together with the home affairs marriage. And that way you give full protection to the women. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. And now I want to give you both the opportunity to give your parting shots. And then the context that I'd like you to focus on is the one thought that I would like us to leave in the listener's mind. When we're speaking to your text, not what tangent we might apply to the text. If any individual listening right now who is neither Muslim or Hindu, who would be picking up a Quran or any of the Vedas, would you find or would that person read and see gender parity, equality and complementarity, Dr. Hargit? 
Yes, easily. I'll refer them to chapter 2, verse 228, that says women and, uh, have the similar rights as, as men have. I'll refer them to chapter 4, verse 124, that says both men and women are destined to heaven for doing good deeds on this earth. And I'll refer them, of course, to uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 71, that talks about men and women being partners and equals and uh, supportive friends and mutually protective of one another. So all of these, just these three verses, talks about complementarity, reciprocity, uh, equality, and parity, and that both genders have to be mutually supportive of one another. So if we read just those uh, three verses, you know, the, 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 the Quranic thrust of uh, gender equity and gender justice comes over loud and clear. Yeah, well, I, I was hoping that you'd answer the, 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 the entire book there, Dr. Hargi. Will they find that the representation is as equitable and complementary as you're suggesting? If they read the entire Quran... I mean, if you read the whole text, the 6,236 verses, and you have an open mind, and you can understand things uh, uh, really uh, in the context and not just the text, then clearly the overriding uh, uh, conclusion will be that the Quran is talking about an uh, a, 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 a equal society between men and women. And okay. God is genderless, right? But okay. unfortunately, uh, we use the pronoun he. So we, uh, it's disrespectful to say it to, 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 to the Almighty. Indeed. But God is genderless. We humans are have the two main genders, okay, men and women. And we should uh, uh, get rid of this patriarchal mindset that so many Muslim men have. I can't speak for other men. I'm going to just talk about Muslim men. The, the patriarchal mindset, the chauvinistic uh, behaviors, the uh, misogynistic mentality. We need to get rid of that because that is not embedded in the text. Got it, it got it. The Quranic, it is embedded in social convention that has gone past its sell-by date. I got All it, I got it, Dr. Stuff, Hagi. Uh, misogyny, chauvinism, sexism, patriarchy has gone past its sell-by date. I understand. I want to bring in uh, the priest again. Your parting shot. Uh, ma'am, I'm, I was hoping um, if, to give you the very same question. Do you imagine that when people pick up any of your Vedas, they would pick up the very same sentiments you have shared right now? Yes, definitely. If they pick up the Rig Ved or the Atharva Ved, um, do you want the, the particular books or the chapters? No, no, ma'am. I'm asking if they read, just if they pick up the Atharva Veda, for, for, for example, do you imagine yes. that they will pick up the very same sentiments of equality and parity as you're suggesting? Most definitely they would. Because... Um, we uh, Hindus believe in God's soul and the matter, right? God, as we know, has no gender, so the soul also has no gender. Okay. So throughout the Vedas, we are regarded as equal. So yes, if they read any any book or any verse in the Atalva Ved, for instance, they will come across this message of equality. Yeah, I, I thought we agreed at the beginning, um, uh, ma'am, that uh, your 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 Vedas do not represent that view. Quite frankly, it has been patriarchal, largely patriarchal. Did I misunderstand you saying that? Did I misunderstand? Did I misunderstand no. you then in that question? Because uh, the Vedas. Uh, are not patriarchal. I'm so sorry. I think I must have misunderstood you. Okay. They're not patriarchal okay. because we don't believe that the soul and God has gender. Okay. All right. We're going to leave it right there to both my guests, Dr. Taj Hargi, founder of The Open Mosque. Thank you, Dr. Hargi. Also, Vedic priest, Arti Shanand, speaking from the perspective of the Hindu community. Thank you very much, madam. We really appreciate your insights on that note. From me, Nayelu Pondwana and the team. Have a wonderful evening and Godspeed.